experience fullness of life when we are connected to the one life of Jesus and the triune God. And in so doing, we looked at some art by Andre Rublev to, to kind of talk about the idea of the Trinity as our foundation. We discussed the relationality that is at the very core of the Trinity and looked at its impact on humanity, how humanity is created in the very image of the triune God, which means we are designed to be in relationship with God. And when we're not in relationship with God, something is off. And this led us to discuss the expansive, diverse gift of prayer, what it means to relationally participate with God in bringing about God's shalom. Then we spent the next last two weeks looking at the second word in our name and vision, which is the word community, and this idea that we believe that there is fullness of life when we are rooted in and serving our community. And we started off this section discussing the importance and sacredness of place and how from the very beginning of creation, humanity was put into a particular place in order to take care of it, to work, to cultivate it as a way of joining God in bringing about flourishing. We then moved on to what it means to root ourselves and to serve of our various places, how to understand the needs of the place and what it means to inhabit them and to breathe new life into those places for the glory of God. Today, as we close out this community section, we're gonna be discussing what does it mean to embody hospitality within our particular place, both as we think about it as a guest and a host. And then next week, we'll finish out with three weeks looking at the third word, which is our name and vision, which is this idea of church, that we believe that fullness of life is when we identify and participate in being the church. Nothing more, nothing less. And what I want us to hear again is that all of these conversations are designed to help us not just understand the vision of a church. That's like, fine, great, we remember the name. Um, what's important is that we are living this out, that we understand what it means so we can translate this into action, tangible embodiment of what it means to be following Jesus, loving people, and serving our city. But before we get started in today's conversation, I want to make sure we open our time in prayer. So join me. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and great. We thank you for some sunshine. It just makes waking up so much more enjoyable on a Sunday. It brings life. We see uh, creation alive as well. And, and we're just thankful. We're thankful for the opportunity to come, to join together both in person and online, to worship you, to declare your goodness to thank you for how you've rooted us into all of our particular places. And today as we talk about what it means to, to be hospitable, to be a good guest, to be a good host, and what that means when we're rooted in a particular place, we pray that you would give us vision, uh, creativity, encouragement, and challenge, that we would embody the things you call us to with regards to all of this. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, as we begin, I want to have us reflect for a moment on this word, hospitality. And so, as we do, I want you to be thinking about when you've experienced hospitality. When was it shown to you? And maybe when have you showed hospitality to others? And as you think about it, just in real simple terms, as a way to kind of process together both here online and in person, my simple question is, what comes to your mind when you think about 
hospitality. So I'm going to keep an eye on the online platform as well um, and in here. But what comes to your mind when you think of the word hospitality? People sharing their space and life. Open doors and warm welcome. Yeah. Others. Comes to mind when you think about hospitality. Yeah. Food and drink. Food and drink. Okay. That's always good. Others. I think about our earth and how it was created to sustain us. Okay. So think about our earth and how it was created to sustain us. Julie McCafferty here online says serving others, welcoming. Gabe Ligo says feeding and being fed. That's always good. Jane Blaisdell says food. Lots of food and drink in there. Yeah. That connects to that sustaining side of things, right? There's a human element to it. Other things that come to mind. Mark and Robin Moss say encouraging others. Be, be thinking about hospitality both as a guest, also as a host. What other things come to mind? Generosity and sacrifice. Okay, that's good. Nick says giving of oneself. That goes along with that sacrifice. Good. So with that, thank you, everyone that shared. Those are super helpful. Now, now as you've shared these things, if you've, you've reflected on these things, I have a follow-up question, not that you necessarily need to answer, but having heard these ideas of hospitality, having thought about them and considered the understanding, my question is, do those words and experiences and pictures actually represent a biblical understanding of hospitality? Does that match what the Bible describes as hospitality? See, Webster's Dictionary describes or defines hospitality as the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Which sounds good, right? Makes sense. We probably would have thought something along the line. But hospitality is a Christian practice that extends all the way back to the book of Genesis. And in our contemporary Western culture, people use the term to mean catering a meal, uh, putting on a party, maybe spe specifically entertaining our guests, which is all certain elements that we brought about. And it's something that we typically plan ahead for. Right? We, we mark it on our calendars, we clean the house, we make everything look nice, we set the table. Um, oftentimes it's around food and drink, all good. But in the scriptures, hospitality means far more as a Christian practice. In the New Testament, the Greek word translated hospitality literally means love of strangers. And some would even translate it pursuit of strangers. And it's deeply rooted in place because to offer hospitality is to extend the privileges of community to those who do not have the standing to expect it, especially those who are vulnerable because they're strangers. So in this case, hospitality often involves sharing meals, but hospitality is about more than eating, right? Eating is, for example, one of the privileges of being in my family. So for my kids, for example, have the right to expect to be fed every single night, whether it's what they like or not, right? And uh, when I share a meal with them, 
it's more of an act of responsibility than an act of kindness, right? I'm being nice, but, but it's my responsibility because they're my family. I owe it to them as their parent and because we're family. But when I share a meal like that with an outsider, I'm inviting them into my family for that brief period, which means hospitality is, is an offer to identify with outsiders and to treat them like insiders, which means hospitality is about extending privilege across differences. And if you think about it, all of human life begins with God's act of hospitality, with God making and creating a place for us in the world, a world that we had no claims to inhabit. And God knew that this offer was dangerous because we outsiders might defile this pristine world that was created by God. But if you think about it, God welcomed us all anyways. And this is at the very core of hospitality Wolf, in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, says it like this. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others and invite them in, even our enemies. And so what we see in scriptures is that hospitality is integral to the earliest biblical stories. For example, God welcomed Adam in the Garden of Eden. And hospitality is a significant part of Abraham's story. If you look at Genesis 12, 14, 18, and 19, each of these stories turn on the proper or improper way to, to treat a stranger. Later in the Old Testament, we see Rahab welcomes the Hebrew spies. Elijah receives the hospitality of the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings. Um, Elisha is hosted by the Shumanite woman in 2 Kings 4. And God expands on this notion of hospitality to include more than meals throughout the text. In fact, it became a central part to the very identity of what it meant to be the people of God. Leviticus 19.34 says this, Treat the foreigner residing among you as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It's a commandment that we see echoed in Deuteronomy 10, 19. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And later in the Old Testament, God's prophets remind Israel and Judah that God will judge them based on how they care for the widow, the orphan, the stranger. That it's by the degree to which they provide outsiders with the privileges that automatically come to those who are part of their community. And so if you think about it, hospitality, place, and community are intricately linked together. And we see this in the New Testament as well. Jesus practiced hospitality and he received it as well. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. Accepting their hospitality was not just about sharing a meal. It was a way of identifying with them and making them a part of his community, which was a point that the Pharisees understood and absolutely hated about Jesus. For example, Luke 9, 1 through 4, is particularly interesting when you look at this passage and understanding what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about hospitality. At the beginning of the chapter, Luke, uh, sorry, Jesus sends out the 12 without any provisions. It says this, 
Luke 9, 1 through 4. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, period. That's awesome. He follows it up. He says, he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. In other words, Jesus purposely asks them to rely on the hospitality of others. You see, typically when we read this passage, we focus on the message the disciples were given to carry and to bring to people because we are economically well off and we don't have to think about that. The idea of being sent without anything is so foreign to our mind, even those of us who feel like we're struggling. But Jesus intentionally put this powerful message in the hands of powerless people. He made them dependent on others. And what better way to understand the people entrusted to your care than to live with them on their terms? This is exactly what Jesus embodies when we think about the incarnation. And sadly, oftentimes when we carry the gospel to our neighbors, it's easy to to let our comforts get in the way of what we might be inviting them into. And we see this come up again in the same chapter of Luke. Right after the disciples return, we see this story of the feeding of 5,000, which is another act of incredible hospitality. The crowds have overstayed their welcome, and the disciples want to send them away. They are done. Why? Because they want to go figure out their own food for themselves. They're hungry as well. But Jesus tells the disciples to feed all of these strangers, to treat them as if they are insiders and part of Jesus' crew, just like the 12. And here we see the command to provide hospitality makes no sense to the disciples. But Jesus feeds the outsiders. The disciples are so caught up in their own needs and wants that they didn't see the obligation or opportunity they had to extend their privileges to those outside of their group. And we do this all the time. But Jesus wanted the disciples to treat the 5,000 outsiders just like they were insiders in this chosen group of Jesus' followers located in this particular place. Now, along with that, what about the early church? What did the hospitality of these people look like then? And what we see is that hospitality became a basis for evangelism. In fact, one of the primary reasons that the gospel spread at the very beginning of the church throughout the Roman Empire was that the followers of Christ practiced a very different kind of hospitality than the the culture they lived in. You see, ancient Romans typically practiced hospitality for what you called important people, which meant the people who could do something for you in return, right? I'll show hospitality to you because I know there'll be something I get as a result. But the Christians became noted for extending hospitality to all, even the least of these, which was a significant part of how the early church developed this reputation of love. The early church loved outsiders as if they belonged and not for anything they could get in return. Why'd they do this? 
They did this because their motivation for extending hospitality to the stranger came out of their experience of receiving hospitality from God. You see, we're, we're all estranged from God with no claims. But God, in his great love for us, offered us hospitality while we were yet sinners. It says, God invited us into God's household, not just as guests, but as adopted joint heirs with Christ. That's good news right there. That's hospitality. And God's hospitality for all humanity came at a cost, right? God's only son had to suffer and die and thankfully rise again so that we might have a place once again at God's table. That's the image. And it's why hospitality is at the core of the Christian experience. So then what does it look like to embody this in our current culture? See, I believe hospitality is often the first experience outsiders have with God's people and particularly the loving God we represent. So it's important. Outsiders measure warmth and grace by hospitality, by the degree to which insiders treat outsiders like they belong. This means that hospitality must adapt in some way to the experience of the outsider. And this becomes a challenge for us as believers. So say, for instance, I meet a friend. uh, He and his wife are vegetarians, and I invite them over to my house for dinner. And my wife and I, when we invite them over, we don't prepare a giant roast beef, right? Um, That would not be nice. That would be rude. Because part of me being friends and inviting them to my place is I know their story. I know they're vegetarians. So I'm not going to put this giant spread of meat in front of them, right? I've listened to their story long enough to know how they see the world, and I accommodate the situation for their experiences. And it's important for us to understand the the difference between accommodation and assimilation. You see, in assimilation, the burden is on the outsider to change if we're going to have a shared culture, right? They're going to come here and they're going to adapt to our culture in order to fit in. In accommodation, the burden is for me to change on behalf of the outsider, which is why I make something different than steak for my friends who are vegetarians. Now, saying that, it's interesting if we think about how we inside the church know the right way to treat our friends, we accommodate ourselves for their needs, yet somehow when we deal with those outside the church, we often have an attitude that they should just be grateful for whatever we offer, that they should change when they walk in here. But if hospitality is treating strangers as part of our community, then don't we owe it to them the same responsibilities that we would owe to our friends, our family, the people we care about? And when I say this, remember that although it's easy to think about hospitality in the terms of food that we might offer for dinner, it's far more difficult and far more important to think about what it means to accommodate a stranger when it comes to the things we do as the people of God. Right? Us church insiders have things just the way we like it. 
We selected the congregation that sings the songs with the type of music and the band that we like, that meets at the time that works for our schedule, that's in the location that works and convenient for us, that has sermons that are similar to what we want to learn about. But if we're going to be welcoming outsiders, then we bear an obligation to listen to those people who are not like us and then consider what changes we might want to make and reflect in order to tap into and understand their taste to make them feel welcomed. This is why hospitality is always rooted in a place that's particular, and it's also why hospitality always has some level of cost to it. And now when we think about cost, all of our stories of those bad guests start popping, <laughs> popping in our mind. Those people we've experienced, we've had over, and it was just like, wow, that, that was a struggle. Foods everywhere, stains, the way they care for things, you name it, we've experienced our bad guests. Doesn't hospitality leave us open to being exploited? Doesn't a good guest have an obligation to be grateful? And these are good questions, but our worries about being good hosts or being bad guests really depend on whether we see ourselves as the host or the guest. It has an effect. You see, we practice hospitality because God practiced hospitality. God invited us humans into the earth God created, and we were and still are really bad guests. <laughs> we messed up the Garden of Eden, we continue to treat each other poorly and creation poorly, if we're being honest. Do we really show gratitude to the God of the universe who showed ultimate hospitality to us? Yet God keeps offering us absolute grace, love, and hospitality all the time. In other words, the only way that we can ask questions about being a bad guest and what that means is if we see ourselves as being a good host or if we forget that we too are the unappreciated guests at God's table. And this is why we take communion every single week to remind all of us that the table is open for each and every one of us, no matter our stories. We're all sinners, right? And God's incredible grace and love is offered to all, no matter how we respond to it. That's hospitality. Now, before we end, I want to clarify what this word stranger means. Because in our culture, when we hear the word stranger, uh, it sounds creepy, right? <laughs> like, I think of stranger danger, right? So what does it mean if we're going to be showing hospitality to the stranger, if we're going to be loving the stranger, if we're going to be pursuing the stranger? What does that mean? And, and the reality is, um, at the core of what it means to be a stranger is just the idea of someone who is different from us. That's it different from you in some way. And this could be in any way you could possibly imagine. It could be someone who's different in their ethical views on life. How they could be different racially or economically or where they land on their political views. They could differ from you in the amount of power they have or in their gender or in their religious views their education, their athletic abilities, their musical inclinations, their style of clothing, the size of their family, 
where they live, the languages they speak, their age, you name it. No matter what they're made in the image of God, just like you, but they're different, which makes them a stranger. Now, the scriptures typically use examples of people who are qualified as the least of these. They're the poor, they're the hungry, they're the ones that are ignored in the community, they're the people that, they, that you walk by that you give no attention to. But if you get to the core of the meaning, the reason why you don't give them attention is because they're different from you and you didn't associate with them. And we all do that with all these categories. You have a different political view than me, so I don't associate with you because you're different. You have a different view on COVID, I don't associate with you because you're different. And you can name it, whatever the difference is. I don't spend a lot of time with people who are 100 years old because our age and our situation in life is different, right? It doesn't matter what it is, that difference affects how we relate to them. And so to love or pursue the stranger, the person who is different from us, can look lots of different ways. And so when we think of the stranger in this way, simply, someone simply who is different from us, then this idea of hospitality and loving the stranger starts to sound a lot like loving our neighbor as ourself, doesn't it? Now, our dinner church is a great example of what hospitality rooted in a particular place looked like. And we use this, this one as a, an example often, but it's, in, it's a really good one because we see people in our community, strangers who are in need. And often a lot of the people in this community are the ignored because they're low income, sometimes homeless. And those are the people that we typically want to move and not even show our face to. And they have needs. And so twice a week, we not only provide a warm, healthy meal, which is fantastic, uh, but we create a space, a table, if you will, for them to feel welcomed, to be invited in. We sit with them. We talk with them. We listen to them. We laugh and share stories so that they can be seen and known and loved no matter what. We don't require them to believe what we believe. We don't require them to sing the songs that we sing or pray the prayers that we pray. We don't ask them to clean up. We don't require that because they're our guests. We show them hospitality and that we invite them in. We meet needs. We develop relationships. We show care. We don't judge. and We don't require something in return. And the, the reality is it's transformational. Jesus speaks to the power of hospitality to his disciples in Matthew chapter 25, 35 through 40. He says this, For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. This is Jesus speaking. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? When needing clothes and clothe, clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible called The Message, translates it this way he says whenever you did one of these things meaning feed the hungry invite someone in give clothes visit someone when they're sick the list could go on whenever you did this to someone overlooked or ignored 
that was me, you did it too. Overlooked and ignored. Jesus teaches that when we show hospitality and meet the needs of the stranger in our midst, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, on our block, in our various places, our work, our school, you name it, we're doing something so sacred and powerful, it's as if we're doing this to God himself. Amen? Now, this is just a glimpse of the idea of what hospitality is that we hope to embody as members of One Life Community Church because the example of the dinner church is great. We have a number of volunteers that help with that. But the, the, the vision is that every single one of us is not just understanding this idea, but we're embodying it. That we're, we're asking the question, we're listening to the Spirit, we're participating with God to see the stranger, the other, in our particular places, and we're thinking about, God, how can we show hospitality to them? And those needs and those situations and circumstances are going to be different for each and every one of us wherever we go. But that's the vision. That's the hope. And so with that, may we be a church that understands and embodies hospitality within our particular places. That we would be gracious, accommodating hosts, and the most humble and appreciative guests. And may we be people who truly see and understand the needs of the stranger around us and by the power of the Spirit do what we can to help. Amen? Now, there's a lot that could be said about this topic that I'm not getting to. Particularly, it's COVID. So what does it mean to invite someone in in the midst? Right? And again, I'm not going to go into all those details. But what I want us to hear, the love of stranger, the someone who is different, the meeting the needs is diverse. There's no five things and this is what it looks like. The needs around us are there whether we can invite them actually into our home or not. So have an open mind, a prophetic imagination, listening to the Spirit as we consider what it looks like for us to do this. At this time, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and they're going to play instrumentally for a few moments to give us some space to reflect on this, and uh, as they do, I do have a couple questions that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Um, hopefully, you picked up a connection card on your way in. Those of you who are online, there's a link in the online platform that you can use. But basically, a couple questions I'd love to hear your thoughts on if you answer one or multiple, um, or if you just have another thought, I'd love to hear from you. But questions to ponder as the band kind of plays instrumentally for a few moments. Number one, what are some of the roadblocks? that get in the way of you showing hospitality to others. So I named one, COVID, you can, that's a, that's a simple one if you wanna throw that one down. But what are some of the other roadblocks that get in the way of you showing hospitality to others? Number two, who are some people you know and see in your communities that have needs and what are they, right? And again, remember your communities aren't just what's outside, although that's it but it's your neighborhood, it's your block, it's your workplace, it's your community center, it's your team, your band, you name it, your particular places. What needs do you see? What are they? Number three, how might God be inviting you to connect with and partner with the Spirit to show hospitality to these particular people in your community? 
And I, the reason why I want to bring this back is because the reason we show hospitality is because God has showed hospitality to us. We've received it. We've experienced it. And so it's out of this that brings us motivation. And we want to partner with the Spirit in order to care for these people well. Number four, last one. How have you experienced the power of hospitality? Just a story, an example, a testimony of where you've experienced the power of being invited in. Whichever questions or however you respond, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to use this space to reflect, to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, to dream, whatever you feel called to in this time. Um, please take note, too, that our prayer team is available and live. So if you're online, all you have to do is click the request prayer button to the left of our chat, and they will connect with you. If you're here in the room, you can come up, and they would love to pray with and for you. They would be honored to do that. So I want to make sure you're aware of that. I'm going to close our time with a word of prayer, and, um, and then we'll sing one last song of response. So. Um, let's do that. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for the way you consistently, constantly show us your grace, your mercy, and your hospitality. We're honest, God. We, we rarely acknowledge the way you have invited us in and how you've made us your family. You treat us as if we are your own sons and daughters, and we are so grateful, and we recognize that we rarely acknowledge it. So this morning as we, we take communion, we're invited in. As this morning as we worship, as we engage with you, Holy Spirit, we're invited in and we, um, we receive your goodness and grace. And God, we ask that as we go, you would help us to see those others in our community, those strangers, those people who are different from us in whatever capacity, help us see the needs and help us hear from you, Holy Spirit, how we might be able to participate with you in meeting those needs that we would be men and women who are cultivating and working out what it means to help this community and our particular places flourish for your glory. You did it, God, and so will we. And so help us, empower us to do this for your glory and help us all be transformed as we show this kind of love to others. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.